Hello, welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that hosts powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations and shines the light on amazing individuals and their work in order to empower young people, teachers, educators, leaders and parents to live a happy and fulfilled life and most importantly, to flourish. We really hope you enjoy all our conversations. Hello and welcome to another powerful, imperfectly perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I am really super, I'm going to say that listeners a lot, but this time I'm like super, super duper excited to be talking to Dr. Elizabeth Lindsay. And you'll understand why when the conversation unfolds, but Elizabeth is, we connected on LinkedIn and she's a National Geographic Explorer, United Nations visionary and a wayfinder, as well as a filmmaker. So a very warm welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. What a pleasure to be with you. Yes, just wonderful. So thank you. Um, Shall we start this conversation with a little bit about yourself? So obviously we've connected on LinkedIn. um, And if you've not connected to Elizabeth on LinkedIn or you don't don't know her work, just go and link, link, you know, like connect because her posts on a daily basis are just absolutely so awe inspiring and and they make you feel good in the morning so really just go and connect um but to start with elizabeth would you would you tell us you know tell the listeners a bit more about you oh i'd be so happy to because it's the things about us that don't show up in a profile i think that are really some of the most important aspects of our lives so i was born in a very very small rural community in hawaii and surrounded by sugarcane fields and plantation workers that were mostly immigrants. And so as a child, I really felt like I was much more part of a multi-ethnic community. I'm part Hawaiian, English, and Chinese, but you know, most of the friends and families that I grew up with were from throughout the South Pacific and Asia and the Philippines. And so I just felt like I was this child that lived in a state of wonder and awe, and the whole world belonged to us. And I still believe that the whole world belongs to us and we belong to the world. And when we approach life in this way, everything unfolds in, in, with great wonder. And so growing up, I, my parents were both um, professors at university and they left us very specifically in the care of three old Hawaiian women. And the reason that I mentioned this is because if we were to look at them through the lens of a modern world, we would, we would perceive them as being very poor and very rural because their, their clothes, while very clean, were, were thread barren, you know, and they, and they fished and they planted, and this is how this was their livelihood. But deeper than that, if you could see with, with keener sight and vision, you would see three women that would go to the ocean under very specific lunar cycles and begin to chant in a whisper, not for anyone else, but in a whisper. 
and you would watch the fish come towards shore. And we would gather, they would gather, they would go in knee high into the ocean and gather only what we needed. And then we would mahalo the ocean. We would thank the ocean and all of its abundance and then go back home and prepare our meals. And that was my frame and my the, the lens through which I saw life is this intimate connection to nature and to all of life. And so now when people ask me what I perceive success to be, my definition is this interconnectivity with everything that exists and a deep respect and a humble nature for the way that we pass through this life. And, and that probably sets the stage for everything that I've done because much later, well, um, while I was still a child, when I was seven, these women brought me into their circle and they shared with me a prophecy that much later I found is common among cultures throughout the world. And the prophecy was this, there will come a time where the world will feel mad. And it's because we will have become unbalanced that we will have forgotten our wisdom. And they said, someday you will grow up. And if you choose to, you will go far away to keep the wisdom of cultures alive. And this will help the world return to balance. Now, of course, I was seven and very poor growing up. So traveling the world seemed you know, equivalent to going to the moon. I mean, it seemed very unlikely. But the beautiful thing about their prophecy as they continued, they said, you will look into the eyes of seeming strangers as you travel. And it was seeming strangers. And there you will find your ohana, which in Hawaiian means your family. And it will take all of you to return the world to balance. And of course, then I met you on LinkedIn and many other incredible people. And together we have formed a community that's very, very much like a family. And together with our work with your work with mine and many others we are helping to return this world to balance and so i feel incredibly privileged to have been raised in such a way that this prophecy helped pave the way for what would become my path and then many years later i became a national geographic explorer and and the prophecy or the predictions that they made came true. And I ended up living among, you know, some of the most remote cultures in the world that have continued to teach me their wisdom. That's so beautiful. And as you were speaking, so many goosebumps. So I'm really receiving your message. Um, just, yeah, amazingly. So I hope our listeners are too. It's just so, such a beautiful story. Um, and I, I wrote down as you were talking, you know, the world the world belongs to us and we belong to the world. And that story you 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 told is a story of um, you know, obviously coming to the ocean and thanking the ocean for what it's giving us. So to me, there's a story of of respect and interconnection. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, and that awe um, that I always love. So I, I try and practice as much as I can because for me, like reconnecting to awe, like, you know, sunset or just a walk in nature is just simply like, it just produces those really deep feelings and emotions. But that to me is so far from 2022, the situation where many people find themselves 
um, you know, I, I consider myself partly sort of a, a privilege because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not currently, I'm on a career break, so I've got a, you know, slower pace. Um, so do you have a message for people who may not be feeling that awe or that connection um, and may live in a world possibly where we, you know, the world belongs to us, but there's no, and we belong to the world part, that maybe that bit has been uh, omitted. Mm -hmm. So what, what sort of words of wisdom would you have for them? You know, I really understand, you know, we as a global community have been under great duress as a result of COVID and many other things that compound it, the conflict certainly in Ukraine. Um, just the the volatility of the market. So, you know, the cost of living and and working and and oftentimes working in a hybrid way where we're still trying to navigate, you know, um, our our personal lives and our professional lives simultaneously. And it's not always easy. And so what I would offer is this as much as we can, we have to take care of ourselves, even in incremental ways. If people say, I simply don't have the time for it. I'm overwhelmed, my plate is full to overflowing. I can't do this. I would offer even for a moment, a moment. I mean, there are days that my day stretches out to be very, very long and exhausting but I know that I cannot serve the world or serve anyone else if I am empty. So the self-nurturing, even if it means stepping away for a moment to take a deep breath, that is nurturing. We don't have to have these long extended periods. We don't have to create the kind of, of luxury of, of lots of time because for many of us, realistically, we don't have it. But if we can find moments in our day to just take one deep full breath, and even better, if we can step outside to do it so that we can ground ourselves, our systems are so finely tuned that we, you know, we are living in an accelerated rate that we don't even realize the assault that our systems take on on a daily basis. And the only way that we can reset that is to actually ground ourselves intentionally. You know, whether, whether it's, it's shifting our breath, whether it's stepping outside and putting our feet on the ground, whether it's touching a tree, there are ways that we make a connection so that we remember again that we are part of the whole and that wholeness will return us to center. Mm, it's beautiful. And you used a, an expression to serve the world, right? So I assume that from the, you know, the cultures that you have lived with and, you know, been around, that idea of service, of, you know, selfless service, to me, is such a high level of consciousness. Um, and I just feel that um, 
I'm I'm slowly I was before we started recording I was saying to you that uh, you know I was raised in in France and then obviously I'm, I have been living in the UK for a long time I lived in Spain a little bit um and obviously this these cultures are very much the opposite of what you were describing so you know very Newtonian and very um you know dualistic and Cartesian and logical right mm -hmm. and so I, I was saying to you before we recorded that I just I'm I'm I slowly feel like I'm opening my heart right like a lotus flower just sort of trying to let it open um, because the habit of thinking is it is so habitual and so you know um, so again you know from your from from you with your wisdom would you talk to that for you know for for, for myself and the listeners obviously. i would love to i'd be so happy to you know um for your listeners that don't know about my background uh i was a student of some of the greatest wayfinders in the pacific and what wayfinding means is that we gain our bearings by by pattern recognition by synthesizing all of this external data. And in many ways, we do the same in our modern world, whether we're working or in our personal lives, we're taking in a lot of information. And from that information, we start to coalesce it and synthesize it to establish the, you know, the financial markets are a perfect example. We see what's happening with prices and then we determine you know, a budget for ourselves. So we start to gain our bearings in a very, you know, realistic way. But what happens with wayfinding that actually takes us to a whole nother level is that when the wayfinders have gathered all of that information using reasoning and logic, they then bring it to their heart. So what we do when we navigate, when we wayfind, is we use the longitude of our minds and the latitude of our hearts. And we bring all of that information, if you can imagine a latitude and longitude, where the two intersect is a still point. And that still point is our deepest knowing. And our just using our minds is not enough. It's not sufficient. We actually need to bring together our reason and logic with our intuition and our instinct. And there we have a much more complete um, bearing in order to navigate more masterfully. And so, you know, we live in a modern world, especially as you were talking about, about um, Europe and, and our, our thoughts around Newtonian thinking, that we prize the mind and we often marginalize the heart if not dismiss it entirely. And what I know as an anthropologist, you know, I'm a Western trained scientist who also happens to be a native Hawaiian woman that was raised in, in a very indigenous way. I see that the truly the most sophisticated way of navigating the complexities of life is by integrating the mind and the heart. And so, you know, I encourage people and often I will hear because I, I work a lot with leadership around the world and I will hear leaders talk about, about, you know, data and, and research and statistics and a lot of reasoning, which I absolutely value. And then quietly, they will talk to me about their 
gut reaction to things. They don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about it, you know, to their to their teams. But privately, they really talk about when they haven't listened to their gut, the results were never as good. And so I know, you know, in, in those in those quiet moments that that people are really are really navigating with both when they are able to cultivate that state of trusting their instinct and their intuition. It also heightens their awareness in such a way, it's like building any muscle where they become much better at immediately doing both. I take all of this information in, how does it feel? How does it feel? You know, not what am I thinking? How does it feel? So so this beautiful melding of the two, and, and that's the advice that I would offer anyone is to bring both um, to bear. Yes, because it's this idea that like you were describing in in our western societies love is a little bit like you know some people will describe it as gooey or like the you know so you, you can't really trust love but i guess it's because possibly it's conditional love um in a sense that w the way we are raised is that very often it's you know i will love you if you do this or if you do that or if i like what you're doing but what you're referring to in terms of love is not that conditional love right well you know what's interesting is i'm actually talking about the heart and the heart is an organ where science is actually you know science is proving that all of the information that comes into our system is actually coming through the heart and then rapidly being transmitted to the mind. But most people don't understand that. So they think that the information is coming directly to the mind. It's not. It's going through the heart first. And so we haven't even touched on love. We're simply talking about an organ that's able to transmit data very rapidly. And that's, you know, based on science. If we go more deeply than that, um, we start to see that, you know, especially in our modern society, not only do we prize the mind, but what we do is we completely dissociate ourselves from our feelings, from, which then, you know, we were talking about earlier in terms of our instincts and our gut and so forth. I believe that when we start to, and I, I really look forward to talking with you about love, because for me, you know, the, the term that we use in Hawaii, of course, is aloha. And in many ways, that's been commodified by the tourist industry. You know, it means I love you. No, it means much more than that. It means that, that everything I am is connected to everything that you are. And when I look into your eyes, I bow to that which is holy and sacred in you because I recognize that. And I also recognize that I am that. So it transcends these, you know, very um, adolescent ideas about love, especially conditional love. And then, you know, we also then see that the same is true for our reverence and our respect for all of nature. In Hawaii, you know, we see the natural world as an extension, as a, an extension of our family. So we have these familial bonds with everything. And it's interesting because an example is this, 
the Hawaiian word for tree is kumu. It's the same word for teacher. So we look at trees as being our teachers because there's much to learn from them. And, and I, I think it just says so much about these cultures. And it's not just the Hawaiian culture. Throughout the world, cultures have this, when they're intact, they have this very intimate understanding of, of nature and our relationship to it, that, you know, the idea of um, hurting it in any way or, or um, destroying it in any way is absurd to us. And of course, we, we, we're seeing all of the ramifications for the way that we have really dismissed those ideas as being naive and, and you know, quite outdated. They're not. Um, if anything, I, I see many of these cultures as being some of the greatest environmentalists of our time. Yes, and and in fact, we are now turning to those, um, you know, to, to, to those with, with that that have kept the, the, that wisdom to share with us, right? Because we're realizing that we are the, the planet is it needs you know, more of our uh, different approach to to uh, compared to what we're currently doing, right? Mm -hmm. um and you so i love how you describe the you know the the sort of like longitude and the latitude of like of the heart and that still point um and i also you know one of the things that really um came up for me as as you were talking is how how could can we draw from so so i remember i posted on on linkedin the I went for a walk and there was this beautiful big tree um, and literally I could hear it calling me like it was just this quiet still voice is the same you know you, you, I, I don't know whether that will make sense but to me it's uh, sometimes I have to to quiet and uh, the head to really listen to that still voice that it's much quieter um, and that trust. And so, and I remember posting sort of saying, how amazing is this tree? It's just so magnificent and so big. Um, and I just simply sat sort of you know, leaning against it for like 20, 15 minutes. And then I got up, but that's what I felt sort of inspired to do. And so, but to some people that might look as, at, well, you know, I know that some people were looking at me probably and thinking, what is this person doing? You know, there's this notion, again, in our society in the UK, where people say they're tree huggers, and it's quite seen as detrimental, right? It was quite, quite a negative way. Um, so would you talk to that as well? The, how how can we draw more from from our interconnection so my connection yeah. to you and the connection to the to the environment yeah you know it's it's so interesting with because i i saw your post and i loved it i love all of your posts on linkedin um you know when people are dismissive in that way um and and very judgmental you know it's all right and and, and for me because there's simply, it's not a reflection of someone like you leaning up against a tree and feeling the state of serenity come to you. It's a reflection of where they are at the time. 
and where they're hurting and where their, their cynicism is actually demonstrating something deeper. And so for me, I've always given people all of the room in the world to feel however they feel. And to, because we're all on a journey, we're all trying to find our way. We're doing the best we can. And what, what is expressed and sounds cynical is, is just simply where someone is at the moment in their understanding. And, you know, there's, there's nothing that I would suggest that I ask people to believe. I simply am offering this as a possibility for them to try. And, you know, we were raised in such a way that we would, you know, we would never ever be so lack humility to um, have people try things or to pontificate, but to share what we have experienced in hope of, of serving them if, if it's of any service at all. And so that's, that's how I would respond to that. I mean, the, the world, part of what makes the world so wondrous is that we all have very different points of view. All I know is that there are a lot of people suffering at the moment. And what I also know is that suffering, a state of suffering comes out of um, a, a deeper disconnection and a state of isolation and despair. And when we reconnect, if, it, if it's with an animal or a tree or another person, it is this reconnection that actually begins to heal our state of isolation and suffering. Mm. And I've always deeply known that because I, I often, you know, before I, I connected to you and sort of started understanding or making sense of what it is that I intuitively knew is that I've always described, for example, going in the woods as like plugging in. So the minute I walk, we've got local woods, which are bluebell woods. Um, and and just stepping into those woods is like literally, I take a deeper breath that you were sort of talking about. So I think innately we know that, right? As human beings, we just, it's just that we've forgotten. Um, it's really true. It's yeah. really true. And, and there's such an intelligence in the natural world. And, and we, with our, you know, with our limited sight, we don't, easily recognize that, but science is certainly providing us all of this research that validates the intelligence of nature. And it's, you know, it's infinite, it's infinite abundance. I, you know, I always offer this thought that nature teaches us in the most bold and audacious ways. Would a star refuse to shine or a flower blossom? or a bird sing, you know, because they're afraid that their song will not sound as good as something else, or because a flower, there's, there's no place for it to shoot except through a crack in a sidewalk. No, nature will do what it is born to do. And my feeling is that this is a profound lesson that we can learn from nature, because there are days where, where I don't feel like I, I may have anything valuable to say. And yet, 
I look around at, 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 the, at nature that never hesitates to be what it came to be. And, and if, you know, if we can share anything with your audience, this is what I would wish they remember, is that everyone has a song to sing. Everyone has something to say. Everyone has a presence that can never, ever be expressed except through them. That is so this fits in so well with what I say about my flourishing sort of analogy. Um, so I use in education because I work in education. I, the last sort of seven years, I've been saying that, you know, we all come into the garden called life with as our own sort of tree, shrub, plant, flower, uh, with our own fragrance. Um, and it's about stepping into that fragrance so we can truly be ourselves. Um, and I'll admit it's only since sort of COVID that I've really, you know, so there's a part of me that's always, if I had to use an analogy to, you know, or plan to describe myself, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a lily plant. And yet I was trying to be something completely different. Um, and that doesn't work, right? Because if we're not stepping into that, you know, if we're not singing our song, and I remember I saw your post about the whale um, singing and the beautiful song, right? It's uh, it's also about finding our voice so we can yes. express that fully. It's absolutely right. And, the, you know, the, our, the greatest courage is the courage for us to be ourselves without apology, without excuse, but to step into who we are because... I believe that everyone deep inside knows that they are here for a very special reason. And what happens as children, you know, we're wildly um, excited and, and have no hesitation to sing at the top of our lungs. And somehow that starts to get dulled over time where we become hesitant or we feel judged or criticized. And I, I really feel, and maybe I'm simply talking to myself, you know, I certainly have gone through a, a very long period of wondering if I had anything to say. I didn't, you know, going through university, I never felt like I could write very well. And so I really struggled with that. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know, understand grammar deeply because I grew up in a culture that's an oral tradition. So, you know, we never stopped to think about those things. And then all of a sudden I found myself getting very quiet because I didn't know if my grammar was good enough or anything was good enough. And that, that really makes me sad that, that a good number of years were spent muted in that way because I felt like I didn't have the skills. And suddenly I woke up one day and I thought, you know, really, what does it matter? And now, of course, there are all sorts of programs that you can just, you know, put your work into it and it starts to edit it for you and tells you how to correct your grammar because this is what I know my grammar may not be you know my my skills in grammar may not be as strong as others but I have a voice that wants very much to share and that's more important than grammar is and, and the other thing about having courage and stepping to into who we truly are is that at times we may fall flat you know, but, but, you know, we cheer for the person who falls down and gets up with their knees 
bruised and bloodied and keeps on going because they show us that the risk, no matter what the results, you know, just having the courage to take the risk is what we, is what we celebrate in them. And, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because you focus on flourishing and what that means is a, at a deep level and flourishing to me just simply means embracing the highest possibility and the highest version of ourselves and all of the potential that's encoded in that. Mm, and I, and to me, like, as you were talking, the image that came back is the one you use, like the fact that the flower will find that one crack to come out and, and you know, blossom and bloom because that's all it can do and wants to do, right? It's sort of, um, yeah, amazing. And I guess it's, you know, so in education, how do we take, because you, you obviously grew up, you know, you were in the care of, of these three women um, in Hawaii and, you know, obviously got access to direct access to that wisdom. So a lot of our listeners, listeners will be mothers and teachers and, you know, parents um, who, who may wonder, okay, how do I... How do I, how do I become, or how do I empower my child to be this um, wayfinder? You know, how how can I do, um, how can I do that? Is that something that parents can 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 do? Absolutely, everybody can. A child, in fact, children are very instinctive um, in the way that they wayfind. You know, because they will say, "I like this. I don't like that." They may not have a reason for it. They may know, they may have gifts that are just on, they're brimming with promise, you know, until that, that is tapped down in them for a parent or a teacher. One of the greatest things that they can do for their children and for their students is to access their own wisdom. And that's done through stillness and through contemplation. And, and if people again say that they don't have time, I say it doesn't take more than a moment and a few deep breaths. And what I do every morning without fail, before I turn on my computer or any of my devices, I go into a stillness of even a few minutes. And my prayer is that I listen deeply to my own heart and that that becomes my compass, because I really believe that our hearts are the most precise compasses we have. I mean, Rumi said, you know, one of my favorite quotes is where he says, your heart knows the way, run in that direction. And our hearts know the way. They've always known the way. They're our greatest teachers. And what, what we often do, especially right now, is... With, with so much social media, we're inundated with a lot of messaging. And it's very easy to be feel overshadowed by voices from the outside that say, this is what you should be doing. This is what it should look like. We compare ourselves to, and, and the measurements that we use are really pretty absurd. I mean, when we count followers or likes and, and, and really stop listening to our own hearts and being true to that. 
But when we come home and cease to follow those external stars that sometimes were never meant for us, but follow the path of our own heart and say, what does this feel like? Is this message true for me? Is this, is this voice authentically mine? But when we start to tap that, and if we do it consistently, what I would invite any teacher or any parent to do is spend a few minutes each day coming home to themselves really deeply coming home to themselves that they recognize when they're on course or when they need to course correct and just shift. And usually it's a hair shift of just a few degrees, but it will ultimately change the destiny that, uh, that you're on, you know, the trajectory of that path. Yes. And when you, you said that, like, you know, it's the best compass. I so agree. <laughs> it's like, and sometimes you know, the, the way I describe it is I, I know my heart already knows, but my head hasn't caught up with it, if that makes sense. So, so logically, I'm trying to justify why I shouldn't be doing it or why I should do it when really already my heart is like, no, this way. <laughs> it's true. And you hear people saying that a lot. They, they say, well, you know, it doesn't you know, it's not logical or it's not practical. And so I did this, but the entire time, you know, I just had this hunch that that wasn't the right thing for me. And so, you know, even if we kept some sort of an easy journal or notes where we could act, actually track the way that we trust our hearts or trust those instincts and don't, we'll start to see patterns. And this can, you know, this becomes our own personal laboratory and our own scientific experiment where we really start when a decision comes up that we um, are being called to make, that we take in all of the information so that we're well-informed with the choices that are available to us and that we go into stillness and that we start to document you know, you know, the outcomes, and we will start to see, you know, a very important pattern emerge. You know, it, it's not about learning anything. It's about remembering. Yes, remembering, that's the word. Yeah, because the most important things are not, are not learned because they're already there. You know, I, I value education. My parents as professors, I mean, most of my family are educators, I, so I value education. I just really want to impress upon people that, that they must bring in the totality of who they are, which includes their, their instinct and their intuition. Mm, yes. And I, I, again, that's something that I would love you to, to talk to. So very often people say to me, how do you, you know, how do you write? So the way I express myself is through uh -huh. writing, I guess. That's, uh -huh. that's my, my way of expressing myself. Um, and as a, as a linguist, I love words. I find them magical and I love telling stories and metaphors, right? That's, that's the energy. But often the way I express it is... People go, how do you get the time to do all of this? And I go, but it's not an effort. I'm not efforting because it's that feeling that all I do is sit in front of my computer and it feels like it's coming through me. So all I am is this vessel that just conveys that, if, if that makes sense. So the hands are just uh, the way of expressing what comes through me. Um, 
and again i wonder whether you could you could talk to that whether that you know you could sort of sure. explain what happens or, you for know, sure yeah. for sure and i love that that you are a lover of words and that they come so naturally to me because clearly that is a gift that that i so admire for me it's speaking but what happens is that when we find our gifts whatever they are whatever they are to be able to truly embrace them and recognize them as being gifts. Usually the things that come so easily to us, we dismiss because we just assume that they are so natural in us that they're probably easy for everyone else and they're not. And, and once we have these gifts and, and love them and nurture them and share what comes through us, something really quite extraordinary happens. For example, when I give, when, before I go on a stage and, and I've spoken at TED maybe three times now, but before I go onto any stage, it's not that I don't feel any fear. I do. My heart starts to, to pound and so forth. All I ask, and this is to your point, all I ask is that I be a, a vessel and an instrument and stay out of the way so that whatever needs to be spoken comes through me and is shared with those who are needing to hear it. And that is my only prayer, that I stay out of the way. And, and, and you basically said the same thing. These come, this comes through you as if you are a vessel and, and you're expressing that in, in words. And, and someone may do it through song and another person may do that in, in cooking or whatever it is they create or in teaching. But, but these gifts are uniquely our own and must be celebrated by at yes. least, at least acknowledged and celebrated quiet, even quietly by us. Yes, because then it's about our song, right? It's about finding that, yes. back to your comments about finding the song, right? And, yes. Hmm. So beautiful. And, and again, you know, um, so you, you had that prophecy. So you were you know, raised with these three women and you obviously you are a woman. Here I am being a woman. And so something I'd love to explore is the energy. So to me, and again, this is only my, uh, my feeling around things is that the the world that that was created so the internet the newtonian the 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 sort of cartesian world is a very masculine world with a very definite sort of masculine um energy and it feels to me that a lot of the people i'm connecting now i'm sort of moving towards that okay so i'm gonna really share my truth uh, authentically are women um, who are more perhaps tapped in their you know in their hearts than than they're you know using the pragmatic side of the the head uh -huh. um, and so I wonder whether that is also something that I mean I don't know I don't know whether you want to comment on that or... I would I would love to comment on it because you know my 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 background in my PhD is in anthropology, is in cultural anthropology. So it allowed me to really live among these cultures and, and, and really research deeply um, this very thing. And what I found and what I am finding is this. Uh, 
is that within all of us are aspects of our masculine and feminine energy. And, and especially right now, I am finding that, that there are many men that um, are really, and, and, and much of the world is yearning for something that is much deeper and more meaningful and wise. And that is grounded in something that uh, is very different from, from purely masculine energy. And what happens historically in our societies is that oftentimes we'll watch a pendulum swing and it has gone very much um, into a masculine direction and ultimately will find its way back to center. What happens is that I'm seeing this occur at the moment where the pendulum is swinging back to center, where we will meet the masculine and feminine within ourselves. And this is the way the world changes because as we do and embrace you know, both parts of this whole, then we can actually embrace the world much more readily with that same energy. Um, it, it was interesting because I love Joseph Campbell's work. And Joseph Campbell, of course, talks about the hero's journey. There were two women who were his contemporaries that said, we believe that there is a heroine's journey. And, um, and so that was their work. And, and I've spent a lot of time researching the heroine's journey because it's, it's different from the heroes. Ultimately, the hero comes back with the elixir for the world. And he is acknowledged for having gone through the journey and carried this back. For the most part, for women, we come back with elixir, but we're doing it for the entire whole. We come back for the, it's carried back for the community, for the whole, and we've done it for that reason. And it's, it's because of this deep love, not only for our communities, but because women, as, as these cultures have taught me, carry something because they bear children. So they have a vision encoded in them, thinking about the generations hence. And this is a very important part of the equation. So women are carrying not only for the whole of their community, but for generations forward, which a man, because he doesn't bear children, may not have the full intensity of that experience and that understanding. Uh, and so I really love that you would ask that question. Yes, and that, and I love how you described it because that middle pendulum, I, I, the way I describe it is that delicate dance, right? The, you know, obviously that's what our bodies do with homeostasis, trying to keep us in balance all yes. the time and to me just it it is it's like dancing right so sometimes it's a <laughs> it's a delicate dance that you to 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 find that, that the yes. balance the and, and and because the universe is dynamic and life is dynamic we're never we're never in 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 stasis but we are always moving we're always seeking a greater balance and this beautiful example of how a man, um, it, it's a very interesting thing and you, and you sparked a thought in me that I'd like to share. So 
when when I look at at a, at a man's journey, you know, he he goes from being a child to a prince, and and then goes into often experiences in in various ways a dark night of the soul, and it's a necessary part of his journey, uh, in order to become a king. And oftentimes, when he goes through this dark night of the soul, he's actually questioning his existence about what all this means, where he, you know, marries and starts a family and takes on all of this responsibility and gets on this hamster wheel. And and at some point in his life, he really begins to question what all this work and all of this effort meant, But, but really going through the dark night of the soul gets him into the state of becoming a king. Some cultures, when a man is going through this, the the community, the village will gather around him. And, And it's so beautiful to me because just even metaphorically, I think we desperately need this in the modern world. They gather around him and they sing to him so lovingly. And in their song, they say, go, go and find yourself. And then he goes on vision quest. And they they remind him that they will be here to welcome him when he comes home. And I believe that there are many men in our society that would long for the kind of unconditional love that will embrace him with song that says, go and find your way. And we will be here to wrap our arms around you when you come home. And it's really necessary for all of us to be loved in such a way, because we all hit a point in our lives where we question what we have been doing and really asking ourselves if, if, you know, is this all that life was meant to be, or have I been, you know, so, you know, on such a hamster wheel that I never even stopped to ask the question. And at some point, children grow up and they leave. And, and, and that's another turning point for people when they really start to, you know, re-identify who they are, you know, going from a parent to an empty nest. But, but these are necessary turning points in our lives um, that, that then get, then a woman becomes a queen and a man becomes a king. And the more that we as women can step into our true power, and our true power is not merely feminine, our true power is to own both the masculine and all of the strength and authority that comes with it, and be absolutely wise and this kind of this kind of beautiful softness that doesn't need to scream or take on any masculine. Um, qualities it just is what it is and it's in that that's that presence of self that we really really become um the 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 whole integrated um person that we were born to be very beautiful it's absolutely beautiful and i feel that that's you know so we took our eldest out of a mainstream school in january because they asked us to um and i've i've referred to doing that as 
and you know opening the cage door so that's what I feel I've done um, and I often say that it's like watching him spread his wings and figure out what those wings are for um, and as you were sort of describing that there's a part of me that just feels that we you know because it wasn't being a young man who's not you know um I guess a, a typical typical masculine you know like in the society we live in um he was finding it quite hard and I'm watching him and he's really coming into the who am I who who am I in this garden called life and having that more freedom really you know and I really feel that that's what we have done and in fact you just described it beautifully that was just sort of given him the well go go and explore and we are here and you know you're, you're safe so so thank you for sharing that with, with me that's absolutely Mm, amazing well Elizabeth I could talk to you for hours but I'm also conscious that you know um you don't I don't want to keep you all day either and have you with me all day um although I would love that because I would learn so much um, is there anything you know I, usually when I wrap up the conversations I ask uh, my guests uh, if there was one thing you would want to um our listeners to take away or is there one thing that we haven't touched upon and that you feel is really important as part of this conversation no this conversation has been truly nourishing for me and I, I thank you for that um, the only thing that I would probably echo in, in this conversation is that all of the answers we seek, the most important answers that we seek, are already inside of us. And for people to remember that their compass has never betrayed them, it's always there. And no one has any greater special or, or greater ability to access that. You know, we're all given the same capabilities. And um, it's just a matter of discovering that compass and trusting it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHE on LinkedIn or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.